Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us from around the world for another edition of Taking You Back to Seminary with us. This is a great opportunity for you to get what we hope is a good seminary education. Learn everything. I'm going to teach you everything I've learned in seminary over this past, uh, well, since COVID almost started, and we're going to continue to keep going. We've done over 70 of these talks online already. So God bless you for joining us today for St. Francis, as you saw, one of the most beloved saints in history. And why is that? What did he do? What did he say? What did he teach? And what examples does he give us today that we can follow and should follow to get to heaven? He's critical. And so let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you through the intercession of St. Francis that we open our minds and hearts to receive the grace you wish to bestow, this grace to learn more of you so we can love you more and to lead us to eternal life. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I apologize. I know we, uh, we advertised St. Francis and St. Therese. But as I was doing this, as I classically always do, at midnight the night before, I realized there's too much. And so we're going to break this up. Today, we're just going to do St. Francis. But don't worry, we're going to get to St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. I will definitely do an episode or talk on her, but that'll be coming up. So today, let's talk about St. Francis. Now, <clears throat> his name was not Francis. He was born Giovanni, which means John, Di Pietro, uh, Di Pietro di Bernardone in 1182. So he's almost a thousand years old. His family, unlike currently, or excuse me, unlike commonly, his family was very wealthy. They were merchants. Now his father was Italian. We always think of him as Italian, but his mother was French. And so this was important. So anyway, he got the name from her, Giovanni, when his father, Pietro, was out of town. So he was born when his dad was gone. Same with my dad. My dad was in uh, Pittsburgh when I was born in Michigan. And um, so anyway, she named him John or Giovanni in Italian. And the father got mad. And he said he changes his name to Francesco, which means Francis by his father. Now, his father was upset at the mom that she had him baptized because he said, I want a soldier, not a wimpy man of God. Wow. Well, I don't know what that says, but men of God don't have to be wimpy. And so we shouldn't be wimpy. In fact, we need to be strong. And so anyway, he wanted a soldier, not a man of God. So he was named John, as I said, but his father didn't like this because he was named after John the Baptist. So I bet you don't think of St. Francis connected to John the Baptist. Well, anyway, as I said, he renamed him Francesco, which means Frenchman. So he was basically named Frenchman because of his love, his father's love for the country of France. He was a traveler. He was a merchant. So unlike other medieval saints, this saint, now we're going to call Francis, 
wasn't studious or pious at all in his youth. He's a good example for me because when I was growing up, my big concerns were my girlfriend wrestling and becoming uh, a pilot. That's what my focus was on. And God had to change direction. So anyway, he had an easy life. He had a lot of money. He was well-liked, enjoying partying. I didn't know they partied in 1189, you know? So I said, we're going to party like it's 1999. He's going to party like it's 1199. And um, so anyway, he basically said, I lived in great sin. So he recognized this. And his father's wealth gave him access to a lot of upper-class social stuff. And so he wasn't your classic example of a ragtag poor saint that we're going to see he becomes. Now, he fell in love too, like his dad, with France. Now he was, he wanted to become a good businessman. But then afterwards, he said, I want more. And that's kind of what I look at myself and I say, you know, when I had my business in North Carolina and I had a house on the lake and Everything was going great, making a lot of money. I was like, there's got to be more. And I couldn't figure out what it was. So personally, I and I bet a lot of you can relate to St. Francis. And he wanted then to decide that he wanted to become a knight. <clears throat> like I wanted to become a fighter pilot. And God changed direction. And so you got St. Francis says he wants to be a knight. And I want to win battles. Now... That's kind of what a lot of our youth think. We want to win a battle with a gun and a, and a plane and, a, in his case, a horse and a sword. But things changed. Anyway, he did fight. He did go out and he fought in some local war and he was taken prisoner for a year. Now, remember the other great saint, St. Ignatius of Loyola, that changed his life when he got injured in battle because he reflected and he was on the wrong path. And so, <clears throat> anyway, it didn't change him much. He still wanted the glory. So after he was freed, he joined the Crusades. Now, I did a talk on the Crusades a couple weeks ago. You can still find that on YouTube. You can see that video. But anyway, God came in and said, hey, you got it all wrong here. And God basically told him to return home go back home from the crusades. The problem was he did, but the problem was he was humiliated. Why? Humility is the first key of being a saint. He wanted nothing more than to be liked, but now he was humiliated. He was laughed at and called a coward because he came home from the crusades. The village disowned him. He was screamed at by his father, I've been there, for the money he wasted on his armor. It's kind of like me when my dad, I decided one day in my life when I had my business, I was going to take up golf. So I bought a used set of golf clubs and used it one day and realized I can't do this. So I had this used set of golf clubs that was laughed at. It was like St. Francis buying his armor and realizing he's not cut out to be a, a knight. So I have these used set of golf clubs. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'll never be able to do this. And so my buddies laughed at me and I was like, oh man, this is embarrassing. 
And so St. Francis had this happen, basically. So anyway, this began his conversation or conversion, I guess you could say, conversation with God. He began to converse with God. He had a conversation with God and began to convert. He had his conversion. That was not overnight, but God was working slowly in him as he probably does with all of you. So one day Francis, now this is a guy who was very prim and proper, loved beauty, was very picky about food, and absolutely hated gross things like any kind of deformity or disease. This he didn't like. So all of a sudden you have this and he meets a leper. Now he was totally repelled by the appearance and the smell of this leper. He was all disfigured and stunk. But he dismounted his horse from where he does not know where he got the grace. Well, now we know it was God. And he kissed the leper. So he gets off the horse, he kisses the leper, and the leper returned the kiss. This changed his life. He was filled with joy. And as he rode off, he turned around and he was looking at the leper and the leper disappeared. Kind of like Faustina, right? When the poor man came to the door looking for food and she fed the man. And all of a sudden she looked at him and he disappeared. It was, I'm sorry, with Faustina, he turned into Jesus. And so he took this as meaning he got a test from God and he passed. So this like, inv like invigorated him. It's like, okay, I'm ready to go. So let's look at our next slide. Our next slide is the San Damiano Crucifix. This is a whole nother talk. I'd like to do the symbolism. Now, for those of you who are with us, if you'd like to join us uh, on our YouTube channel, it's called Divine Mercy. And we, you can join us to see these slides that I'm talking about right now. But anyway, St. Francis, his search for this conversion led him to this ancient church called San Damiano. Now, that's the cross. You see that cross on that slide? That's the famous cross that we call the Franciscan cross. It's very unique. And again, it's a whole topic I could do a talk on. So anyway, while he was praying, he heard Christ on this crucifix speak to him and say, Francis, repair my church. This is the famous story. You've all heard it. At this point, he took it literally meaning the physical condition of the church was not good. He wasn't thinking spiritual, and he began to repair the church. So guess what he did? That's pretty much, you all know that part of the story, but I don't know if you know what happened after. So he went and he took fabric from his father's shop. Now remember, he's a merchant, and he sold it to get money to repair the church. Now Francis began to use his father's wealth here, and he was restoring other churches. So he's going around, when Jesus said, repair my church, he didn't know he meant spiritually, he thought physically. So he's going around repairing these churches, and this caused conflict with his dad. How many arguments have there been between dads and sons over money? So anyway, Francis removed his clothing and declared that he had no father except God. Call no man your father, right? So this was... What Francis did. And he regarded himself as the husband of Lady Poverty. 
and resolved to serve Christ from that point forward. Now, his father saw this as an act of theft. And with Francis's cowardice, he believed. So he's looking at Francis. He's like, you're a coward. You're wasting money. You're growing disinterested in business. This made Francis seem more like a madman than his own son. So basically, he, this guy, Pietro, dragged Francis before the bishop. This is back when the church was the key to all society. And in front of the whole town, he demanded that Francis return the money. I always laugh. It's like my father charging me 8% interest on my loan and demanding it back. I was like, Dad, I'm your son. But it's a good lesson for you, son. So this father was showing him, and if we could quiet our cell phones, please, that would be great. So this father was taking him before the bishop and says, I want you to renounce all your rights as my heir. So basically this father's disowning him here. And the bishop, though he was kind, he told him to return the money and God would provide. So you see what's going on here. Now, that was all Francis needed to hear. He gave back the money and he stripped off all his clothes again. <laughs> and these were the clothes his father had given him. Now he's only wearing a hair shirt. Those are shirts that you wear with hair on them that really irritate the body. They're like penances. And so wearing nothing but this hair shirt and some cast off rags, he went off into the freezing woods, mostly naked, singing with joy. Now, robbers then saw him. <laughs> this poor guy. So now robbers, he meets up with some robbers, and they basically took the little remaining clothes he had, beat him up, all right, and threw him into the ditch. <clears throat> St. Francis got out of the ditch and started walking away again, starting to sing. From then on, Francis had nothing. But he said, I have everything. And I kind of point to that with us at the Marian Fathers. You know, I've, I've pointed out, we, a lot of us come from backgrounds. We had jobs and careers and all that. Now we have nothing. But we got more now than anything. You know, we, we have our, our, our staples supplied for our food, our clothing, our health care. And that's, God bless us, more than what a lot of people in the world have. So I'm very grateful. But other than that, we don't have anything. We have transportation. We have a roof over our head. But other than that, we don't have anything. But I've never been happier. I didn't think I could ever live without my boat. Now, I kind of wish I had a boat, but that's okay. Because we have nothing, but we have gained everything. So soon Francis started getting into the spirit. He started to preach. But you know, he was not a priest. A lot of people think St. Francis was a priest. You see him in the habit. He was not a priest. He was a deacon. He was ordained a deacon, but never a priest. And so Francis, a lot of people think he was a reformer. He was not a reformer. He preached about returning to God and being obedient to the church. He didn't say, I want to reform the church, even though Jesus said repair. Jesus didn't say reform. Repair is back to what it's supposed to be. Reform means change it. So he repaired it. Francis must have known about the decay in the church by this point. And what happened? He showed respect. It's interesting because at one point, somebody told him about a priest 
who was living openly in a sexual relationship with a woman. And so they came up to St. Francis, the story goes, and they said, St. Francis, you got, or Francis, you got to do something. This priest is openly living with this woman. And Francis said, really? And the person said, yeah, he says, I need to address this. I need to go see him immediately. So the crowd gathers and he goes running up to the priest. And you know what he did? When he got to the priest, he knelt before him and kissed his hands. And he said, because these hands touched the Eucharist, mine cannot. Now, is that condoning the priest for what he was doing? Of course not. Are we called to correct our priest when we do something stupid? Absolutely. But he was saying, despite that, God can work through this broken tool. And so he did this because those hands had held God, no matter what the priest had done. Again, it doesn't excuse it. No, 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 no. But we need to respect the office that Christ established despite the brokenness of the priest. So thank you for your prayers. Now, slowly people started coming to Francis. People who wanted to follow his life of kind of a mendicant, meaning he was walking around, sleeping out in the open, begging for garbage to eat, but only loving God. His main focus, poverty. A total detachment was the key. Remember, I did a homily a couple days ago about detachment. You see, purgatory, and we just did a film on EWTN. Please join us every Wednesday at 6.30 for our EWTN show here from Stockbridge. And purgatory, everybody thinks, is punishment for our past sins, our sins that are evil. Yes, it is. It's part of that. But a bigger part of purgatory is detachment from things that aren't even sinful necessarily. I will probably have to spend time in purgatory to detach from fishing and college football. They are not sinful in and of themselves. But if we spend too much time, they become too much focus. We have an attachment. And so St. Francis is saying the answer to detach, so I don't have to spend eternity in purgatory or you know, a long time in purgatory, it's not eternal. I'm going to detach. This is poverty. This is why the church teaches poverty. Because you break free from everything that can hold you. And so he knew he now had to have some direction in his life. So he said, I'm going to turn to the Bible. So he opened up the Bible. This is a classic example of a lot of saints. And he opened up the Bible to three places randomly. And you're not going to believe the three places. Listen to this. You couldn't make this up. The first place he read was the command to the rich man to sell his goods and give it all to the poor. Now, some are not called to that, but you can give your time, treasure, or talent. You don't have to necessarily give all your money. You can give your time. You can give your talents. So anyway, he was called like the rich man to sell everything he had and give to the poor. So he goes to the next place and opens up the Bible. And this was the order of the apostles to take nothing with them on their journey. No second tunic, no bags, just go with your staff. And then he turned to the third place in the Bible. And it said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Could you imagine what St. Francis is thinking at this time? So St. Francis said, you ever hear the Franciscans are all over the world? You ever hear in religious life, there's a rule 
like a rule of the Benedictines, a rule, we have a rule of life. We Marian fathers, I'll share that with you someday. But the Franciscan rule of life was based on that moment. So here, St. Francis is opening up the Bible to three things. Basically, the rich man, give what you have, sell what you have, give to the poor, come follow me. The command of the apostles to go out and take nothing with you. And the third, to take up your cross daily, deny yourself and take up your cross. And he basically put them all together and says, that's our rule. That's our new rule of life. And so many of the Pope's counselors considered this way of life proposed by Francis as unsafe, impractical. But the Pope had a dream. And in it, he saw Francis holding up the church, the Lateran, the, the Lateran Basilica, which was the Cathedral of Rome, basically the home church of all Christianity at the time. And he decided to endorse Francis's order, the Franciscans. So this occurred in the year 2010. So about 18, over 1800 years ago. And that was the official founding of the Franciscans. Now they say today, only God knows how many Franciscan communities there are because so many have split off. But his group, listen to this. This is very interesting. I'll tell you about monks and about their haircuts and their habits. So anyway, he started the group called the Lesser Brothers, meaning we're not important as the others. And this became the Order of Friars Minor. You've probably heard the Order of Friars Minor. That means the Lesser Brothers. This became the Franciscan Order. Now... This is considered the first order, but there's second order and third order. You ever heard of third order Carmelites, third order Franciscans, third order Dominicans? Well, St. Francis was the first order, the friars minor. These are the men, the monks, then, or the friars. Then the second order, who was the second order? Any guesses? There was a special saint that followed him named St. Clair. She was fascinated by his preaching as a young lady and she came to follow him. And when she followed him, he started a group. She started a group of nuns, the poor Clares. And so the poor Clares became the second order Franciscans. So you see them, you remember Mother Angelica? I'm going to show a slide of her in a minute, but she had the brown habit. She looked like a Franciscan. That was the second order, the poor Claire's. And from this, Claire of Assisi was the foundress. Now she's the patron saint of television because at one point she couldn't make it to mass. She was sick. So Jesus broadcast the mass on her cell wall and she watched the mass just like you are on live stream. <laughs> So sooner or later, we're going to have a patron saint of live streams. And so St. Clair did that. She had the, she's a patron saint of television. So that's the second order. Then we had the third orders. But let's talk about that second order, the poor Clares. Let's look at our next slide that Brother Markin put up. That's Mother Angelica. Isn't she cute as a little girl there? And that's her as a little girl. And Mother Angelica then became a poor Claire. She looks like the brown habit of the Franciscans. They're the second order of Franciscans. So Mother Angelica at EWTN was a poor Claire. None. And then finally, there was the third order. And he founded the men's order. Okay, so let's summarize here. 
He summarized the men, monks, and priests. That was the first order, friars minor. Then he established the women, the poor, clear nuns. That's the second order. But then he did something really creative. He created what we call the third order. This is lay people like you guys. Do you know that the association of Marian helpers is like a third order? When you join the Marians of the Immaculate Conception in our Association of Marian Helpers, you're just like a third order because you're sharing in our prayers and, and all that we do on a daily basis and you get all the graces. We'll show you at the end of this talk how to sign up. It doesn't cost anything. It takes 10 seconds. Join us. And Mark will show a slide at the end, micprayers.org. We'll get to that at the end. But he founded this third order called the Third Order Franciscans. Now, they do not wear a habit. They do not take vows. They're just people like you, lay people. They live in, they, you know, they, they, they don't live in community. They live with their families. However, they do gather on a regular basis and they make a profession to live out the gospel in their lives, according to the example of St. Francis. Now, they are called today secular Franciscans. So when you hear somebody say, I'm a third order Franciscan, you can kind of correct them and say, do you mean secular Franciscan? That's what they are today. Now, let's look at our next slide. What is that haircut? Now I cut my own hair, but I leave something on the top. When there's nothing on the top and it's a bald head with a strip of hair, what's that called? Tonsure. It actually used to be one of the minor orders in the church. And the tonsure is the practice of cutting or shaving part of your hair and leaving the rest on there, on the scalp, shaving the scalp. Now, why? Why do people, what's the meaning of that? What's the meaning of walking around like St. Francis with like looking like you're bald on the top? And I guess that would be the first male pattern, male baldness, right? because it's bald on the top and then you got the strip of hair. It's a sign of religious devotion and humility. Why? To counteract vanity. Because it looks really odd. As I said, I cut my hair. And, 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 and when I take the razor, uh, the barber razor, I just go straight up. But a couple times in the past, I've, the razor slipped out of my head and went right down the side. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I look hideous. That's vanity. They don't care. They just, and then comes the tonsure. And so anyway, the term comes from Latin word tonsura, which means clipping or shearing, shearing, S-H-E-A-R. And it was referred to a specific practice in medieval Catholicism of cutting their hair like that. But did you know that a papal order banned it in 1972. In 1972, a papal order banned the tonsure. Well, now it's come back. Current usage now generally refers to cutting or shaving the monks or the mystics of any religion um, as a symbol of the renunciation of vanity, um, their worldly fashions, because... They don't definitely look like a worldly fashion. All right. Now, what about the rope? 
that the Franciscans wear. Okay, they have the brown habit. We'll get to in a minute. What about the rope they wear? It's called a cincture around their waist, and it symbolizes being girded with Christ. Let's look at our next slide. For those of you who are with us, you can see on our YouTube page. Now, that's a Franciscan, um, that's a Franciscan habit. I don't know if you guys can all see me up here, but that Franciscan habit is worn with a rope. Now, do you notice that the rope has three knots? Okay, so let's take a look at this. I'll Brother Mark keep it up for a minute. The Franciscan rope has three knots, and it is tied in these three Franciscan knots to symbolize poverty, chastity, and obedience. So each one. Now, if you look, each knot has five coils. So if Brother Mark could put that back up, I don't know if you could see it well, but there's three knots on the rope. So here's a Franciscan walking around with his rope tied around his waist, and on it he has three knots. They symbolize poverty, chastity, and obedience. And within each knot is five coils. Any idea what those five coils stand for? The five wounds of Christ. Now, what are the five wounds of Christ? I bet you you're going to say the head. Right? I bet you're going to say the back, the scourging. All right? The five wounds of Christ are the two hands, the two feet, and the side. Those are the five wounds of Christ because he experienced those on the cross. The others were the passion before the cross, crowning with thorns, the scourging. So the five wounds of Christ, have you ever heard a prayer and devotion to the five wounds of Christ? That's what they are, the two hands, the two feet, and the side. And so that's what the five coils are on the Franciscan robe, the, the cincture. Now, it is tied to the habit. Let's look at our next slide. This is the Franciscan habit. Now, this is a different habit. Look at the two different habits. And I bet you're going to say to yourself, oh, wow, I guess you're right. I didn't realize that. If you look on your slide... Let's look at the first one on the right. That's a Cistercian monk. Here they have something that goes over called a scapular. Now we wear scapulars um, underneath brown scapulars. I did a whole talk. If you want to look at it on YouTube, I did a whole talk on the meaning of the brown scapular. Now we wear them as just little short, but on the back, they're cloth. Okay, brown wool. And these scapulars, as you can see on your screen, sorry, I'm going to put this back. <laughs> on your screen, the real scapular is a whole length of cloth worn over the Cistercian monk. Now that scapular has a cowl, which what is the cowl? It's the hood. Now let's look at the Franciscan monk. He has what looks like a robe called a frock. And this robe is basically what you see today in Franciscans. And the rope is tied around to that habit. Now, why is the habit brown? Why is the habit brown? You know what I'm talking about, the brown-habited Franciscans? Because it symbolizes the color of the earth and the soil from which they are tied. They're tied deeply to the earth and the soil. It is to cultivate in that soil, in that habit, 
What do you do when you cultivate the soil? What do you plant inside the soil? A seed. So the habit is like the soil. And what do they want to cultivate inside it? A humble heart. So basically, that's where you get the word hummus. You ever eat hummus? Well, humus is the Latin word, H-U-M-U-S, which is different. That's Latin for ground. And that ground is where you need to get your humility. It comes from this. And so that's why the habit is brown. Now, why do they wear the robes? They wear it in hopes. And why do they call it a habit? They wear it in hopes that they will develop the Christian habit of truth and humility. <laughs> so they want truth and humility to become their habit. Now it has more Latin, deeper meanings. I'm giving you just kind of the shortcut there. The habit is in the shape of a cross. Now, if you notice for the Franciscans, the cross doesn't look like this. The cross has no top. For the Franciscans, the cross looks like this. It's called a Tau cross. And did you know the story of Mother Angelica? When I was down at EWTN, before I discerned my vocation, before I came to the Marians, I went down to Mother Angelica and to meet her. And there's a giant cross, and at that point it had the top of the cross, that they put up on the new uh, temple, they call it, but it's a, it's a shrine. And lightning struck. And lightning struck and severed off the top of the cross. So the cross that normally looks like this was severed in a lightning storm. And now the cross looked like this. And the top got severed off by lightning and fell to the ground and dug a deep hole. And Mother Angelica came out. This is what the Franciscan friar is telling me the story. And she came out and she shook her fist and she says, devil, if you think you're going to knock this cross down, I'm going to get a bigger one and a better one and a stronger one, and you won't be able to touch it. You could just picture Mother Angelica doing that, right? And guess what happened? She had a dream. And Jesus said, no, I want the Tau cross. So Jesus sent the bolt of lightning to sever off the top of the cross. And why is the Tau cross? That was Franciscan. So the Franciscan root of the Tau cross. And that's why their habit looks like a T. It's a straight piece of cloth with two arms, no head because the head's cut out at the neck, straight down. It looks like, so they call it a T-shirt. I wonder why they call it a t-shirt. That's why. And so the cross is a T called a tau, T-A-U for the Greek letter T, a tau cross. And so in this, this is funny, is that's what the habit is shaped like. So now the habits on, their, on the monks, on their habits, they have hoods and the nuns have veils. Why does the nun wear a veil? She's the bride of Christ. She's the bride of Christ. So the habit for the monk, remember I told you St. Francis wanted to be a warrior? St. Francis did become a warrior. The habit 
is the armor of God for the monk. This is what they use in battle. Battle of spiritual warfare. Something way more important. And even though technically for the Cistercians, the scapular, that long strip of cloth, that's their habit. For the Franciscans, it's the whole robe. So this garment or what they call a tunic, you've probably heard, this was traditionally worn throughout history. So it was at the time normally worn. Now, if you walk around in a tunic, you're countercultural. That's why God bless when I see these monks at the airport that are wearing their habits or their tunics. I'm like, God bless you for being a witness. You stand out. You're not forming to the culture. So Francis never really wanted to start a religious order. This former knight wanted to be a battler. He thought it was, you know, you know, it's kind of funny. If he didn't want to start the order, but then he had this conversion. It was kind of like this former knight thinking, you know what, now? I don't want to start a religious order. The word order sounds too much to military. So now he's flipped completely. This guy who wanted to be a warrior is now saying, I don't even want to start a religious order because that sounds too military. How did he change? And so Francis really felt that nature, all of God's creations were part of his brotherhood. So he would use the term, be careful here, brother moon and sister sun and all that kind of stuff. You got to be very careful of that. We're not pantheists. Pantheism is the, is the heresy of thinking God is in that tree. Now God is everywhere, but God is not in that tree the same way he's in the Eucharist. Okay. We can't fall for that. Now he would take, for instance, and say, the sparrow is as much as my brother as the Pope. <laughs> So he would actually preach to the birds and the birds would listen. You know, I told the story, um, we have a lot of deer on this property. We have turkeys, we have bears. Um, but there's this mother deer that I see every night when I come back or go during dusk back to the house. And then I come back to the office, brother Mark and I work late each night, but she's there. And so Brother Mark and I were driving a couple days ago and she was there and I always roll down my window. She's really unique. She doesn't run. She's not afraid. And I've been talking to her. So just last night, the same thing, or two nights ago, the same thing happened. And uh, I was telling the story to Chris Dutille, who's with us here, that she made some incredible apple cobbler for the Marian fathers. And I had a little bit of dinner. I was like, oh my gosh, I never usually steal this, but I'm going to take a little bit back to the office for tomorrow. So I have this apple cobbler in the car and I'm going back. And I'm like, oh, this is like the best apple cobbler I've ever tasted. And I'm going back and I see mama deer and she's sitting there munching, trying to find little acorns. And I'm like, oh man, I got to give this to the mom deer because deer love apples, right? And I'm like, but I can't. Chris didn't make this for the deer. She made it for, for the Marians. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, what the heck? And so I turned around and I realized I had asked cameraman Giuseppe a few days ago to give me, if he didn't mind, to give me uh, some fruit because I didn't have any fruit. And they tell you, you got you to eat fruit regularly. So Giuseppe brought me in some apples and I had an apple on the front seat. 
So I called over, I'm talking to the mother deer and they love apples. So the moral to the story is God provided the apple cobbler for me and the apple for the deer. <laughs> so praise be to God. But this is how St. Francis saw creation, that these animals were a special part of it. Now, it was funny because um, he would preach to the birds and they would listen, just like I would try to talk to this mother deer. Well, anyway, there's this famous story. Let's have Brother Mark show the next slide. There's this famous story. That's a, um, a, a mural there um, of the wolf. All right. This is the story of the wolf. Now, what's the famous story? Is it this wolf around the village of where St. Francis lived was eating the people because he was starving. And so Francis intervened when the town was going to kill the wolf. So the town was going to kill the wolf and he intervened and went up into the mountain and he scolded the wolf. That's a picture of him scolding the wolf. So you could see on, 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 the, uh, on the mural there that he's scold, scolding the wolf. And he basically talked to the wolf and said, you are going to stop killing. But then he realized that the wolf killed because it was starving. So he went back to the people and said, the wolf will no longer bother you as long as you feed him. <laughs> so I tell my employees, I will no longer bother you if you bring me leftovers. So that way, but, but how awesome is that? Now, please don't get upset. I, I'm not teaching this as dogmatic revelation that you, Father, where is that in scripture? I know I'm going to get that. Father, where is that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. But this is the beauty of our Catholic faith. These are the traditions that have been passed on for centuries. They're powerful. They're great examples. So the town agreed to feed him, and the wolf became a pet of the townspeople. He made sure, or they made sure he always had plenty to eat. So, <laughs> good story. I, I, I'd like to tell you another story that I had with uh, with. Uh, 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 St. Francis here, right here at the, at, the, um, at the shrine. And let's, Mark, show our next slide. This is a picture of our statue of St. Francis. If you're at our shrine right now and you go out the front doors of the shrine and you go up the hill to the right, in this little woods, we have a statue of St. Francis. And you can see on my slides, this is a picture of our St. Francis statue. Now, this is an amazing story to me. So this St. Francis statue was... Um, when we would bless animals on, on now, what day is St. Francis's feast day? The reason I'm doing it, I should have said this in the beginning. The reason I'm doing this talk is because his feast day is coming up. It's October 4th. So is St. Therese of Lisieux, which is October 1st, but I'm going to do her too. But this is October 4th. So on October 4th, and who's October 5th? Faustina. So we got some big October 2nd the guardian angels, October 7th, Our Lady of the Rosary. This is an amazing week, this first week of October coming up. So I want to get you ready for this. So this October 4th, excuse me, every October 4th is tradition that you bless animals. So now it used to be a big event here at the shrine. And if, if hopefully in the future, it'll become big again. But people would come here and have their animals blessed. So people would literally bring their dogs, their cats, their birds in the cages, goldfish, even horses, goats. People would bring them to be blessed. So 
the, the story goes, we had an employee here years ago named Carol who worked here and she was parked over in the main parking lot. And the day earlier, that day, they had blessed all the animals. So this is this big blessing and the animals were all blessed and everybody went home. So at the end of the day, Carol was going back to her car in the parking lot and she was going by the little strip of woods where our graveyard is for Mary and priests and brothers who have died. And out came a fox. Now, what's interesting is the fox is a very spooky animal. You can't get close to a fox like I was telling you about the deer. They're too spooky. You don't see them. They're very private. They, they're very spooky. And this deer came right out of the woods, right in front of her, and looked up at her. Now, Carol says she doesn't know why she did this, but the only thing that came to her mind, <laughs> she looked at the fox and said, you're late. We've already blessed the animals. So she's having this conversation with a fox, a wild fox, not a pet fox. So she's talking to this wild fox and she says, you're late. I'm sorry, you've missed the blessing. And she describes that this fox looked up at her and kind of went like this and he ran all the way across up the hill and laid at the feet of the statue of St. Francis. She's like, what? So she goes up there and the fox is curled up at the feet of our St. Francis statue, looking up at St. Francis. So she starts calling other people over. So the people are coming out of the shrine and she's like, come here, you gotta see this. So all of a sudden this big group of people comes out and they're all standing around this fox. And this fox is looking up for the, to the St. Francis statue, like he's looking for a blessing. So here comes one of our priests and the fox is looking, all these people around and the priest blessed the fox and then he ran away. <laughs> to me, that is an amazing story. And again, you're not gonna find it in the Bible. But that is a gorgeous story of the faith that we have in tradition and the sense that we have this in our faith. That's what makes our faith so alive. That's what makes our faith so beautiful. And yet we get so criticized for it. So anyway, the, 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 the important message of, of, of St. Francis was he was to follow Jesus. Now, sometimes, yes, he took it literally. Now, following the gospel literally, you know what he did? He sent himself out with his companions two by two because the gospel says go out two by two. At first, the listeners were hostile. Here's a bunch of men in rags telling me what I got to do, trying to talk to me about God's love. So basically, people even ran away from them in fear that they would catch this really strange madness. Well, here's the funny thing. They were right. Tons of people caught that strange madness because everybody wanted to start becoming a Franciscan. So soon the people came, they came and they noticed that these barefoot beggars seemed to have something they didn't. It wasn't goods, it wasn't money, it was joy. Joy. What is missing in my life? That's what I told you I asked when I had my business. That's what Francis asked, what is missing? There's gotta be more to this. And so people had to ask themselves, could one actually have nothing and be happy? 
You don't have nothing. You have everything if you have God. This was the message. As I said before, you know, Francis did not try to abolish poverty. You know, um, this not. He tried to make it holy. This is important. When his friars met somebody who was poorer than they would, they were, they would rip off their sleeves of their habit and give it to the person. They worked for most everything. All right. They worked. They only begged if they had to. Francis said, if we had any possessions, then we would need weapons and laws to defend them. I never thought about that. If we had a bunch of stuff, we would need a bunch of weapons and a bunch of laws to defend them. But I ain't got anything. So have at it. I think that's fascinating. He said, what could you do to a man who owns nothing? You can't starve a fasting man. He said, you can't steal from someone who has no money. Then he said, you can't embarrass one, someone who hates prestige. These are the things we fear. We fear having our belongings taken, that we're afraid of being embarrassed. We're afraid of not having enough food. He's saying you can't starve a, a, a fasting man. You, you can't steal from somebody who has no money. And you can't embarrass somebody who doesn't care. Wow. This is true freedom. This is true detachment. So what did he do? He went to Syria. I did a talk also a few months ago on Islam. Francis was part of this. He went to convert the Muslims during the fifth crusade. So now he's going back into crusades. But unlike when he was in the fourth crusade where he wanted to fight with swords and kill people, he's now in the fifth crusade and he wants to convert people. Not kill people, convert people. And that was the message of my talk on Islam. We pray through Mother Mary, they'll be converted. Now, in the middle of the battle, so this battle's raging, right, in the fifth crusade. In the middle of it, Francis decides to go straight to the head Muslim, the sultan. This is suicide. So he does. And when he and his companions did, he was captured. Now, the real miracle here was that they weren't all killed. So let's look at our next slide. Here is a picture of St. Francis with the Muslim Sultan. They're hugging. That's unbelievable. Now, instead of being killed, Francis was taken to this Sultan who you see on your screen. And he was so charmed by St. Francis, by his teaching and preaching. And listen to what he said. This is the top Muslim, the head Muslim of the Crusades. And he said, I would convert to your religion, it is beautiful. But that would mean both of us would be murdered. So he didn't, at least that we know of. But get this, the Sultan gave Francis and his companions permission to visit the sacred places in the Holy Land because now the Holy Land was occupied by Islam. That's my whole other talk on the Crusades. So Islam had taken over the Holy Land it kicked Christianity out. But here's the Sultan so moved by St. Francis that he invites St. Francis to go into the Holy Land and even preach there. 
Do you know this is the reason the Franciscans are still in the Holy Land? And they're the only ones that have been in the Holy Land continuously since this happened, 1217. This happened in the year 1217. And ever since then, the Franciscans have been in the Holy Land. That's why when you go to the Holy Land, you see the presence of the Franciscans because of what St. Francis did. This is amazing. Some say, get a load of this, that that Sultan secretly converted and accepted a deathbed baptism as a result of Francis. That's awesome. Now later, Francis finally gave up all power and order in his order, in his, his, um, in his community, but he probably wasn't too upset by it. Um, now he could be just like another brother, which is what he wanted. So his final years were filled with humiliation and suffering. In fact, Francis had a vision in September of 1224. Guess what? On the feast of the exaltation of the cross, which is what I did a homily on that you can also find online last week that talked about the meaning of the cross. So on the feast of the exaltation of the cross, he prayed to share in Christ's passion and he got the stigmata. What's the stigmata? The wounds I talked about last week with Padre Pio. And I mentioned in that Padre Pio talk that Padre Pio was known for getting his wounds. Now, somebody wrote me and says, Father, your talk is really messed up because you show a picture of the uh, Francis and, and, uh, and, uh, 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 Padre Pio with wounds in their hands. But we know that Christ's wounds from the shroud are in the wrist. Ah, Brother Mark found this one. Do you know that pretty much all the scholars believe that when they executed and crucified criminals on the cross, they would nail in the palm at an angle and the nail would go through the wrist and out the back. So it went here in the palm, came out on the wrist. So this is why you see the stigmatas in the front of the hands like this. But on the shroud of Turin, you see Christ's hands folded. You see the back, you see the wounds on the wrist. The nail went in the palm, out the wrist. And Brother Mark found that on a study that we were watching from the scientists. It makes perfect sense. And so anyway, he got the marks. Let's look at our next slide. Here's a painting of St. Francis getting the stigmata. And so you can see he's bearing the wounds in his palms. And he got the marks of the nails in the palms and the lance on the side of his chest. And he suffered over his whole body. And then he saw a vision. This is fascinating. He saw a vision of a seraphic angel. Remember, okay, again, <laughs> I keep saying this. I've done another talk on the angels. You can find that on YouTube. All these are under explaining the faith. So if you put in explaining the faith angels and the highest, there's nine choirs of angels in church tradition. And the highest is the seraphim, right? Now, only three times in human history do we know of that a seraphim angel has appeared to man. Why? Because the seraphim angel, their main focus, their existence is to behold the face of God. That's all they do for all eternity, gaze upon the face of God. And if you think that's going to get boring, you have no idea how wrong that is. 
You will, God is ever changing. You will never, you will be in eternal bliss for all eternity, gazing upon the face of God. So these seraphim angels, that's what they did. That is their role. And only three times do we know of, did they turn away from the face of God to help man? And it wasn't out of disobedience. It was out of obedience. The first ever was Isaiah. When the seraphim angel came with a, a charcoal to hold on the lips of Isaiah to purify his speech. The second, this one, right before St. Francis got the stigmata, he had a vision of a seraphim, six-winged angel on a cross who gave him the five wounds of Christ. And guess what the third time in human history was? St. Faustina. St. Faustina was sick. Her superior wouldn't let her go to mass. St. Faustina said, oh Lord, I want to go to mass. So Jesus sent her a seraphim angel to give her holy communion. She's only the third one we know of in human history to, re to see a seraphim angel. And guess what she did? She asked the seraphim angel before receiving holy communion, can you hear my confession? This is the highest of the angels in all of God's creation. And you know what the seraphim angel told her? I cannot. Only an ordained priest has that power. A seraphim angel telling St. Faustina, she says, will you hear my confession? He says, I cannot. I don't have that power. Only the ordained priest does. This is mind boggling. And so this is what's going on here. So, she, he, he beholds the seraphim angel and the story of St. Francis grew and grew and this became Assisi. This is where he was living and Assisi became a popular pilgrimage destination. Let's take a look at Assisi. Look at your next slide. Here's an incredible picture at dusk of Assisi lit up. It's just, I mean, it looks amazing. And so you see Assisi right there. And so Assisi with its medieval buildings and cobblestone streets and men in uh, monks walking all around. Uh, the town of St. Francis, this thing called Assisi, was also the town of St. Clair. And do you know that the inhabitants are proud of this? But you know, it's also home of other lesser known saints. Agnes of Assisi. Who is she? St. Clair's little brother. I'm sorry, little sister. <laughs> Clair's little sister. There was Gabriel of the Sorrowful Virgin and the ancient Saint Raphinius, and the Benedict, he was a Benedictine, excuse me, and the Benedictine hermit, Saint Vitalis. So there's others who came from there. Today, when you see and you go there, you can see uh, Saint Francis's own Porcioncula. You probably heard the term, that just means little chapel, little portion, it's a chapel. So let's look at the next slide. That's why we celebrate Saint Francis as a slide shows on October 4th. Now, he died on October 3rd, but we celebrate him on October 4th. This Italian deacon who renewed the church. All right. He followed Jesus' words as literally as possible, but then recognized the need to spiritually. And known for his joy, he said the secret of true happiness is to become saints close to God. So as I wrap this up, 
Why do we know that he said to become saints of God? Let's use three examples. I love these three, okay? Three major incidences confirm Francis in this, all right? One, when he was in Sisi, Assisi, we said that he overcame his fear of disease by kissing the leper. That was one. That was one changing point in his life to become a saint. Two, he went to Rome and he deposited his money at St. Peter's tomb and exchanged clothes with a beggar. That was the second changing turning point. And third, when he returned home and he saw Jesus on the cross and he heard Jesus say, go Francis and repair my church. You can see it's falling into ruin. I think you could say the same about today. Please, Lord, let us be the tools like St. Francis to reform your church. So through his imitation of Christ, he did tireless ministry. Um, you know, it's, it's very something, they're the heart. You know, we know, we, th we look in the church to the Dominicans for the academic and the brains of the church, but we look to the Franciscans for the pastoral, the heart of the church. So they're known for their pastoral. Detachment and poverty is the key. All right, so real quick, um, I want to say this. I'm running out of time here, but I, I want to summarize. You all have your little nativity scenes, you know? They call them a crush. The nativity scene, we have them right here every Christmas. My mom always has them. And they're the wise men, the animals, the mother, uh, mother Mary, baby Jesus in the manger. The story is that all comes from St. Francis. The story of the origin of that crush or the nativity scene is from him. It was the year 2023 and St. Francis, who was a deacon, was visiting a nearby town to celebrate Christmas. Now the town was built on a mountainside overlooking a beautiful valley. Now he realized that the Franciscan chapel was too small at the hermitage to house everybody for midnight mass. So he found a niche in the rock near the town square and he set up an altar. Let's take a look at our next slide. This is not just any nativity scene. This is at Assisi. And so this, um, he wanted to commemorate the nativity of the infant Jesus with great devotion. So basically Francis put together the first living nativity scene. He got real animals. He got people, and this is, this is what's amazing. He stood before the manger, full of devotion and piety, crying, but yet joyful. He was unable to even say Jesus' name because of Jesus' love and tenderness, and he called him the babe of Bethlehem. Now, this is an account described by Master John of Grecio, who affirmed what happened. He was a very trustworthy man. And he said that in an infinite infant, marvelously beautiful, all of a sudden appeared sleeping in the manger. Can you imagine? And so Francis, let's take a picture, or excuse me, in the next slide, that's a painting of Francis lifting up that child that appeared in the manger. This is amazing. And so he basically embraced him in his arms as if he would awaken from his sleep. He was holding this little Christ child. This is a credible story, they say. Not only because of the sanctity of the person who accounted it, this John of Gratio, but the people saw it. 
And there were other miracles. Francis converted so many after that. And they even took the hay from the manger and they took it out and it healed all the disease of the cattle. So this is amazing stuff. All right, let's talk real quick. I'll leave a few minutes about St. Francis's preaching. Some of this comes from Trent Horn on Catholic Answers, which I wanted to acknowledge here. And Trent Horn says, you know, we're often told that sexual sin pushes people away from the Catholic church. Don't tell me what I should do in my bedroom. I remember I was doing a confirmation course for 10th grade girls out in the Boston area. And I was giving them the topic of the confirmation talk was not sexuality, but a small part came up and I reinforced church's teaching about abstinence until marriage. And this 10th grade girl came up to me and said, how dare some gray hair old man in Rome tell me what I can do in my bedroom. I'm thinking I couldn't say this or I wouldn't be a priest now, but you're only in 10th grade. What are we talking about what's happening in your bedroom? This is the mentality today. And so we are told that we can't bring this up or we'll scare people away from the gospel, that we can't bring it up. This can happen if we do it without tact or empathy. This is true. We can't attack people. That's never going to work. I can't go up to somebody and say, you're going to hell because you're living in sin. You lovingly correct them. But when someone doesn't even mention it at all, we're not allowed to say sin or hell. You got a problem. Now, I think Joel Olstein's a good man. I've brought him up before. I think he's a good man. I think his heart is in the right place. But please, millions of Catholics have left our Catholic faith to join that church, if you can call it that. Joel Olstein was on Larry King. I'm not making this up. If you're angry at me, just please watch the video. And Larry King, a Jewish man, says, is it true that you, you're Christian, but you never mention the word sin? He said, absolutely not. It makes people feel bad. Seriously? I'd much rather make you feel a little bit bad on this earth than save your soul than to feel a whole heck of a lot worse when you're eternally damned. This is dangerous. Don't fall for this. Instead of preaching with words that offend, we're told that we have to love each other without saying a word or we're hypocritical. Of course I'm a sinner. I am hypocritical, but I'm trying I'm not asking anybody else in the confessional to be perfect. I'm asking them to try. And so <clears throat> we, have to, we have to avoid this now. People are told that, oh, they'll find Jesus through non-offensive love. No, that's license. We don't let people walk down the wrong path. You know, they say St. Francis said, preach the gospel and if only necessary, use words. I'm sure you've heard that. I actually kind of like that. St. Francis never said that. Nope. St. Francis never said that. People say he said that. He never did. I like it. But sometimes we have to use words. Sometimes we have to. 
The preaching about hell and sin is something he did regularly. People don't know this about St. Francis. Many people think St. Francis was this hippie with brown robes and, and preached peace to an audience of, uh, this is what Trent Horn says, I find it hilarious. Many people look at St. Francis as a hippie with brown robes who preached peace to an audience of wild-eyed animals in a Disney film. <laughs> yes, he was kind to animals. We need to be. I believe that. I'm an animal lover. Absolutely. I'm a tree hugger. But we praise God for all this creation. This view of St. Francis is actually incorrect. It's inaccurate. It glosses over the man who rebuked sinful living. He rebuked it. Unlike the academics, by preaching, he drew primarily from his conversion story. So he was pastoral. Francis's preaching was vibrant and energetic. That he would at one moment sing and dance in the middle of his preaching. Now, if I did that, you'd all run away. But he would sing and dance in the middle of his preaching. He was so full of joy. But then he would turn right around and weep and cry. Why? Because he was a sinner. But then he'd weep again for joy and he'd start dancing again with joy because God's mercy. This is amazing. When he described the, in, the nativity, people would say it was almost like Mary was giving birth before their eyes. In rehearsing the crucifixion, the crowd for the nativity would shed tears. Now, I've just summarized this all up, but one of the topics that St. Francis preached about was the joy of repenting from sin. Francis was not all fluff. He was a man, tough man, not a new ager who was afraid to mince words or minced words. He said, this is quote, blessed are those who die in penance for they shall be in the kingdom of heaven. But woe to those who do not die in penance, for they shall be children of the devil, whose works they do, and they shall go into everlasting fire. That sounds like a pretty good warning. Francis did not sugarcoat the reality of hell. He also preached, though, that joy comes from Christ, liberating us from that sin. The answer mercy. All right. So to finish up here, Dr. Stackpole talks about some good examples. I'll try to summarize these in his work, The Little Flowers of St. Francis. That was a book from way back. Dr. Stackpole quotes to that. And I want to use two examples that are about God's mercy. All right. The first one is St. Francis was working with this friar named Leo. This is funny. And I got to shorten it. But he told this Leo, he says, this is what I want you to correct me, Leo, brother Leo, friar Leo. And I want you to tell me, Francis, you are a sinner. You are not worthy of mercy and you deserve damnation. Tell me that, brother. I need to hear that. And brother Leo tried to tell it. And he said, God loves you. God is all merciful. God forgives you. And Francis is like, did you hear me, Brother Leo? I want you to tell me that I'm a sinner, that I do not deserve mercy, and I deserve hell. Okay, I said, yes, Francis, I get it. I'll be obedient. I'll be obedient. So Francis says, tell me, brother. And Brother Leo says, 
God loves you, God forgives you, God is merciful, and he's going to bring you to heaven. And Francis is like, brother, you're being disobedient. He literally could not say the words because God's mercy is greater. Yes, we got to warn people, but the people we warn are the people who are not turning to God's mercy. Once you get people to turn to God's mercy through the confessional, through the church, then you turn and say the glory of that is God's mercy and eternal life. I think of the story of cameraman Giuseppe. All of you who've watched my videos know I love cameraman Giuseppe, but it's hilarious because sometimes we are, we're like two comedy errors, two comedies of errors. So one night we're trying to film, I was doing some video for EWTN and we have the, the, the it's here in the church and there's some people here and I'm trying to do the, uh, the talk and I started it and I messed up and I get frustrated and I'm sorry, pretty soon everybody leaves, I felt bad because they're probably thinking, gee, so I'm trying to do the talk and I just can't. And I try it again and I mess up and I'm trying it again and I mess up and I'm like, ah, oh, it's all day long. I hadn't eaten. I'm frustrated. So finally I stopped, said a little prayer and I began and I nailed it. I felt exactly the way I wanted to say it. We sailed right through it and I took a big breath and cameraman Giuseppe says, uh, Father Chris, we're going to have to re-record that. And I said, why? And he said, I forgot to hit record. <laughs> now, I'm like, what? And I'm getting ready to open my mouth to say something to him like, Giuseppe, cameraman, Giuseppe, oh, oh, oh. And Giuseppe goes, have mercy on me. <laughs> and I am not exaggerating. You can ask cameraman Giuseppe, this is the truth. I went, and I couldn't say a word. God blocked my vocal cords. Why? Because he asked for mercy. And so God's mercy is that great. It is so great that even after cameraman Giuseppe forgot to hit record and I was just ready to go, ah, God blocked it. And I couldn't say a word. And all I said was, okay, praise God. Let's do it again. And cameraman Giuseppe's looking around. So we hit it, did it better than the first time. And we've been laughing about that ever since. Because that's how part of the cameraman just said, he says, you know, I got to use that more often. <laughs> I said, now don't be using it like candy. You use it when it's truly needed. So anyway, that was a powerful one. All right. Now uh, let's finish up here. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about that one. All right. Uh, sorry, I'm running out of time. There's so much good stuff on Francis. All right. Let's talk about one more in chapter. That was chapter nine of that book. Um, that was called The Little Flowers of St. Francis. Let's talk about one real quick in chapter 26. Three robbers had been, you think of the two robbers on the cross of Jesus, but there were three robbers that had um, been terrorizing a town. They had, they'd been living way off and God was starting to put some, some grace in the hearts of the leading robber. And he says, listen to the other two robbers. You know what? We're probably damned here. <laughs> We're probably not going to make it. We're probably going to be damned. Let's go to this St. Francis guy. Let's talk to this Francis. 
and we're probably going to hear that we're done for. But if he gives us even a sliver of hope, I think we need to change our ways. So these three robbers go to St. Francis. And the robber says, I don't think there's any hope for us. But we'll do whatever he says. Francis received them, assured them of the mercy of God through his prayers. And that God's mercy was infinite, greater than any sin that they could ever commit. Why? Because they were asking for it. They were coming there. Earlier, we talked about bringing up the sin and the realization of damnation. Those are for those who don't even care. They're not on the right path. These guys are. So he said, even if our sins are infinite, the mercy of God is greater. And he pointed out St. Uh, Paul's words in the gospel. Christ, the blessed, came into the world to redeem the greatest sinners. So through these wound, words and similar teachings, the three robbers renounced the devil and all this works. And guess what? St. Francis received them into the order and they became monks. <laughs> that means there's hope for everybody. So anyway, finally, his health collapsed. Two decades of missionary work and preaching and penance, living as a human sacrifice. You know, he never recovered from the illness. As I said, he died on October the 3rd, 1226. He was only 45 years old when he died. And Pope Gregory the Ninth canonized him only two years later. And along with St. Catherine of Siena, he's the patron saint of Italy. And so anyway, he's considered the founder of all Franciscan orders and the patron saint of ecologists, so uh, environmental, and merchants. But he's also now the patron saint of animals, the environment, families, and get this one, against fire. So let's pray when these wildfires rage to St. Francis to help protect the animals and the homes. So anyway, uh, several Protestant groups have now engaged in adhering to his teachings. This is interesting. He could be the way to union. More than almost any other saint, the Protestants look at him and say there's something there. The Anglican church and some Lutheran churches even have religious orders following his rule. Did you even know that? Did you know there were Protestant religious orders following the rule of St. Francis? Fascinating. The Anglican church retained the tradition of blessing animals on his feast day. Many uh, Lutheran and other Protestant churches have also adopted this. Now, Pope Francis, why did he change, choose the name? Bergoglio, he chose the name Francis because he was most concerned for the well-being of the poor. And after he was nominated Pope or elected Pope, somebody came to him as he was walking up and he said something about the poor. And Francis said, that's it. I'm going to be Pope Francis in recognition of the poor. And you know, St. Francis is considered the first Italian poet. And this is where I want to finish with a three-minute video. I have a, sorry, it's gone a little long, but there's a three-minute video I want to finish with. And if you're at home, you can see it on your screen. If you're here, you can turn it on later. You all remember the prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Many people love that. I looked through many versions and I found one that they played on EWTN. It's three and a half minutes. Bear with us. It's a beautiful prayer. 
And I would like to play that for you. And for you here in the shrine that don't have it, we'll recite this prayer together. But for you at home, let's now watch this prayer. Okay, so are we live again? Okay, so 
Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Uh, we thank you all for joining us. We're grateful that you could be with us. That is a powerful prayer, and that was one that aired on EWTN. Now, again, we don't know technically that St. Francis wrote that. There's no evidence that he wrote that prayer, but there's also not evidence that he didn't write it. So we know that it's a beautiful prayer. So anyway, as we normally do, I'm going to finish with the last couple slides as a DVD. If you would like to get my talk, you can get this at the gift shop. It's a DVD of uh, several of my Explaining the Faith series, but not on Saturdays. These are parish talks I did out at churches. You can get that. Brother Mark is showing on the screen. It's called Explaining the Faith. Now, next slide is my book called Understanding Divine Mercy, which you can also get at the gift shop. If you want to come here, I'll sign it for you. I'd be happy to sign it for you. That is available at the gift shop and I can be here. I'm doing confessions one to two. So if you want to meet me at two o'clock after confessions, I can sign your books. So you have an hour. You can go to the gift shop. You can go out to eat and I'll be out in front of the shrine at two o'clock. And then finally, join our team, join our family, be a Marian helper. As I mentioned earlier in the talk, micprayers.org. It takes 10 seconds. It doesn't cost anything. And as I said before, as I mentioned earlier in this talk, the beautiful gift of being like in a third order and the beautiful gift of being a Marian helper. Because if you are, you share in all of the graces of our prayers, chaplets, rosaries, just like you were a member of our religious family. And so God bless you. Thank you. I do have one last announcement. I will not be here next Saturday for the normal Saturday talks. I will be in Denver at a large conference, but we're not leaving you abandoned. So real quick, before we sign off, Next Saturday, October the 2nd, we will have first Saturdays, but it'll be at 8 p.m., not 11 a.m. So we will not have a, a crowd here next Saturday because Deacon Tyler will be being ordained. So at the 9 o'clock mass next Saturday, October 2nd, Deacon Tyler will be ordained a priest and we will have um, a big celebration here for him. So if you want to join us for first Saturday's devotion next week, it's at 8 p.m. And Father John will be leading you live in talking about a beautiful apparition in France. Because remember, every first Saturdays we're doing Marian apparitions. And Father John Larson will be here to lead you through the devotion and everything at 8 p.m. Eastern time in the United States. And we will have first Fridays again at 8 as well. Got all that? Nobody's saying anything, so I'm scared, but that's okay. You can see it. We'll have it posted. So may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And may St. Francis guide you and your pets. Have a great day. God bless you, everybody. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? 
Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.